Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. Now this is part two of Darlie Routier. Did she or didn't she? In part one, I talked about the crime and how two young boys lost their lives in one of the most violent ways possible. I also talked about how it came to be that their mother, Darlie, was subsequently arrested for the crime and a little bit about the evidence that was found. Now, if you missed part one, it's available to listen to, and it's episode number 33. Uh, you can either search on your favorite podcast platform, or you can go to Beach House 34 Podcast on Instagram, and the link will be right there in the bio. And this is probably the easiest way to get to it. Now, in this episode, we'll talk about the evidence intertwined with actual testimony from bond hearings. And this is important. These are just bond hearings. While this episode will contain some of the actual court transcript information verbatim, it's definitely not everything. And as I said, the information that you're going to learn today is based on Darlie's bond hearing. And this is specifically whether or not to hold Darlie without bond. I'm still deciding on whether or not to do a multi-part episode set on the actual court hearing because it will be incredibly long. But I do know that there are quite a few people who have expressed interest in hearing the whole case. So it's becoming a bigger and bigger possibility. On a personal note, I find this case, this entire case, completely fascinating and find myself just a teeny, teeny bit obsessed with it. I can't tell you how often my opinions have changed over time about who actually murdered these poor children. Was it Darlie? Was it her husband, Darren? Was it someone who entered the house? If they did, why? Was it for a robbery? And they were just surprised to find family members down in the family room? But then if it was, why not just remove the only adult from the equation? And why would a robber all of a sudden turn into a murderer, especially a murderer of children? They were having financial difficulties, so was it a murder for hire plot? I'm sure just like me, you all have your own opinions as well, and I would love to hear them. Just pop into the comments and let me know what you believe. Um, I'm, I'm very, very curious about this. Okay. With all these opinions out of the way, let's get started with the case of Darlie Routier, Part 2. Here first is a brief recap of Part 1. So here's how it goes. In the early morning hours of June 6, 1996, Darlie Routier was sound asleep in the downstairs family room with her two children, Damon, who was five, and Devin, who was six. The children were asleep on the floor with their pillows and their blankets, and Darlie was lying on one of the couches. They had all been watching television and had fallen asleep. The television and the sound were still on. Darlie's husband, Darren, was in the upstairs bedroom sleeping with their youngest son, Drake, who was eight months old. Now, Drake was in a bassinet slash crib in the parents' bedroom. 
around 2.22 a.m., based on testimony that I'll get to later on, Damon and Devin were attacked and stabbed viciously. Uh, Darley sustained cuts to her throat, her shoulder, and her forearm. Now later, Darley would make a statement to the police that she had been awakened and saw someone inside of her home. The assailant was moving away from her and went through the utility room or the laundry room and then into the garage. Now, investigators noticed that one of the screens within the garage had been cut open. The window to the garage itself had also been left open, which was unusual. Darley then went after the intruder and followed him into the utility room. Now, according to Darley, she saw him drop a knife on the floor, which she instinctively picked up. But her decision to pick up that knife raised doubts with the police and with investigators regarding her claim of an intruder. After she had been instructed by the police dispatcher to not touch anything, Darley admitted that she had already handled the knife. Now, she quickly realized that she may have compromised fingerprints and acknowledged that fact with the dispatcher. So Darley's call came into 911 at 2.30 in the morning. The call lasted nearly six minutes. And if you listen to part one, you heard the entire 911 call. Within the first 30 seconds of the call, you can hear Darley's husband, Darren. And this is important, so we'll keep this in the back of our minds for now. The first officer on the scene, David Waddell, arrived around 2.33 a.m., according to his testimony, just three minutes after Darley called 911. The second officer, James Walling, arrived around 2.35 a.m. We know by now that Darley was arrested for the murder of her two children, but there's always been controversy surrounding that. And as mentioned in part one, there are those who are adamant that she is guilty and others are just as adamant that she's innocent. What is apparent is that the investigation, as well as the crime scene and even her defense, were, to put it bluntly, a freaking mess. So let's talk about why Darley was arrested in the first place. Why would they consider her to be a suspect? Well, it actually all came down to one man. Uh, who made the observation after 20 to 30 minutes of walking the crime scene hours after the crime happened and hours after paramedics and other officers had been in and out of the house. And this gentleman was James Cron. Now, I talked about him in part one. And if you remember from part one, Cron, after making the determination that it was someone from inside the house and after the police had quickly cleared Darren, the only other suspect left was Darley. And he made this determination even before he knew that 75 yards down from the Routier house, there was a sock that had been found with the boy's blood on it. So on July 6th, so Darley's already been arrested. She's in jail. On July 6th, a month after the crime, a bond hearing was held, but that's not the one that we're going to talk about today. This bond hearing on the 6th was a hearing for a bond reduction. It was not granted and Darley was being held on a $1 million bond, $500,000 for each child. However, 
Even her bond amount would be challenged. And at the end of August, over the course of three days, there were, there were several hearings that were focused on motions to hold Darley without bond. And these hearings did include witnesses that testified, unlike the original one. Now, at this time, Darley is still being represented by her court-appointed attorneys, Doug Parks and Wayne Huff. And if you recall from part one, her attorney, Darley's attorney, is replaced six to seven weeks before her actual trial. And this new attorney is Doug Mulder. But at this point in time, with these particular hearings about, hey, let's hold her without bond, Doug Mulder has not yet been hired. It is still Doug Parks and Wayne Huff. Now, I want to point out that Doug Parks believed that Darren was involved. When Darley's new attorney was hired, this Doug Mulder, he never pursued this theory that Parks had. But I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself right now, so let's just continue. Greg Davis is the prosecutor, and he is, at the time, assistant district attorney for Dallas County, Texas. He was the lead attorney at the time of the trial as well. Now, others worked with him, but to sit here and name all of them would be totally overwhelming. And when they do come up, I'll just let you know who they are. Now, the hearing to hold Darley without bond, this thing went on for three days. And those testifying at those hearings were Janice Townsend Parchman. Uh, she was the medical examiner with Dallas County who performed the autopsy on Damon, the five-year-old. Jim Patterson, who was the lead detective in the case. David Waddell, who was a patrolman and he was the first officer on the scene. Charles Lynch, a trace evidence analyst at the Institute of Forensic Sciences in Dallas. Uh, he examined the crime scene on June 6th, along with Catherine Long, and tested for traces of blood and other evidence. And Darren Routier. Now, Darren was not on the initial list, but he was subsequently called in in a really odd turn of events, as we'll see as we go along. And the reason I'm even focusing on the bond hearings is that because there's some testimony in here that's going to be relevant to the entire case. So the witnesses, they're they're all in the courtroom for this, hey, let's uh, hold Darley without bond. They're all in the courtroom and they're told that they cannot discuss the case with one another, nor talk about any facts in the case to anyone. As each of the witnesses are testifying, none of the other witnesses are even allowed in the room. They must wait outside. So the first witness to take the stand is Dr. Townsend Parchman. She is the medical examiner who performed Damon's, the young child, youngest child's autopsy. Now the prosecutor, Greg Davis, starts off by questioning her. And her testimony, I am not gonna do verbatim because it contains a lot of uh, technical medical information. So I'm just gonna give you kind of just an overview of what it is that she said. She first gives information about Damon's injuries. And remember, Damon is the five-year-old and states that the most noticeable injuries on Damon were the four stab wounds to his back. She says that Damon had four stab wounds to his back and notes that they appeared to be made with a single edged instrument, quote, such as a knife. 
Without going through all the details, suffice it to say that the wounds were as deep as three inches and went through his his ribs, his lungs, and his liver. Now, on a personal note, after reading all of this, it seems to me that little Devin, you know, all of five years old, he actually got the worst of the attack. I don't know why that is, but but he did. They then discussed the autopsy of Devin. Now, Devin was six, and his autopsy was done by Dr. McLean of the same office as Janice Townsend Parchment. Now, Devin's injuries were to his front. He had two severe stab wounds. And again, I won't go into detail here, but Devin had two of them. One of them was five inches long and his wounds too went through his lung and liver. Uh, Devin, however, sustained one wound in particular that went through his pulmonary artery, one of the largest arteries in the body, which of course caused him to bleed out pretty uh, significantly. The doctor, Janice, is on the stand. She is then asked, how long would Devin have bled as a result of these wounds? And she responds that a few minutes would be enough time for him to sustain a large amount of blood loss. And then in a few more minutes uh, would likely die. The doctor then asked or is then asked if she had a chance to meet with Darley. And she said that she did while Darley was still in the hospital. A Rowlett uh, police officer from where uh, the incident occurred is Rowlett, uh, the city of Rowlett, um, actually took the doctor up to Darley's room. And according to the doctor, she met with Darley and looked at her injuries, um, quote, as well as she could under the circumstances, unquote. She did not look at Darley's left hand, but rather just the tape, just the part that was taped up and the after surgery wounds that were done to her neck, her arm and her shoulder. Now, Darley's left hand had sustained some wounds near the upper part of her fingers on the palm side. Now, when Darley's attorney asked the doctor why uh, she even went to go visit Darley, she said that the police requested that one of the medical examiners from their office do that. She also admitted that she did not take any notes while she was there, but did say that she had spoken with the resident physician, but she couldn't remember his name. She also testified that in her opinion, the injuries were inconsistent with those that occurred to Devin and Damon. Now, Darley's wound to her arm did go through and hit bone, but the bone is close to the top of the skin. And so the doctor didn't consider it to be really all that bad. She is then asked to define what a hesitation wound is. And she mentions that it's usually, but not always seen in suicide cases. It is something that a person, when they decide to end their life in a painful way, will first cut, feel the pain, hesitate, and then they do this multiple times before, quote, they actually get the courage up, as it were, and go ahead and do a deep slice, which actually does the deed, unquote. When the doctor is shown a photograph of one wound on Darley's neck, Uh, a smaller one next to the larger gash, she is asked to determine if it is a hesitation wound. And she says that, quote, it could be 
a hesitation wound. It's actually a little bit deeper than most of the hesitation wounds I have seen, but they vary, so you can't say for sure. The doctor then asked uh, about Darley's neck, about Darley's neck wound, and says that uh, she had talked with one of the surgeons. She was told that it went through the platysma muscle, which is, quote, a very thin sheet-like muscle that is, it's applied to, and it's very densely applied to the deep surface of your neck skin and has a lot to do with the tone of your neck, muscle tone, that is. It went through that, but did not invade any of the strap muscles. You've got a lot of long, thin muscles, which overlay the neck running up and down. It did not involve those muscles, but did get a few of what we call little bleeders, minor blood vessels right on top of the thyroid at the base of the neck, unquote. She then estimated that the the wound would have been less than an inch deep, but admitted that she couldn't tell for sure, but certainly less than an inch for it not to get into the strep muscles of the neck. The doctor is then asked if the wounds appear to have been self-inflicted by Darley, and she says, I quote, they could have been, unquote. Then, and uh, this question was really out of nowhere, uh, Mr. Davis, the prosecutor, asks the doctor if she knew whether or not Darley had breast implants. And she answers, I did not know. So before we get into what the first officer on the scene said, I want to give uh, the overview again of the house layout because it becomes important in this testimony. I'll probably talk about this a few times as we go along. The family room, and this is what the family, the Routier family, refers to as the Roman room, but for our purposes, we're just going to call it the family room, uh, where Darley and the boys were sleeping, was on the first floor of the house. If you were to walk into the front door of the house, you would first pass a formal living room on your left and stairs to your right. If you continue to walk further into the house, the family room would be off to your left, and then the kitchen would be off to the right. Now, inside the family room, if you turn and you're looking into this room and you're facing it with your back now to the kitchen, there is first a chair against the wall on the left. Then the fireplace is in the left corner of the room. To the right of the fireplace is the television. And if you continue, continue to move your eyes to the right of the room, there is a couch then a side table, and then another couch, which faces the television directly. The couches are sitting kind of like in an, in an L position. Uh, the back of one of these couches is facing towards the kitchen, and a table sits behind this couch. In the center of the room, there's a large glass coffee table with a planter on top of it, a, a big vase of, of flowers. Now, Darley had been lying on the couch closest to the television, not the couch that sat directly in front of the television whose back faced to the kitchen, uh, but rather the other one. So as Darley laid on the couch, her head was closer to the television than towards the kitchen. So she's laying there on the couch and she's looking ahead of her. She's looking directly towards the kitchen. Now, Devin, the older child, was found near Darley on the floor nearest to Darley's head. 
Damon, the younger child, was found by the other couch, the one uh, whose back is facing the kitchen area. And Damon was actually laying on the floor closer to the entrance of the kitchen just past this couch. If you then turn around so that you're looking into the kitchen and walk a few steps inside, you will see a bathroom on your right. To your left would be the kitchen sink. In the middle of the kitchen is a large island and Officer Waddell, as we'll learn, refers to this as the bar. If you walk on the left-hand side of this island, a stove would be on your left. A little further down is the refrigerator and just past the refrigerator directly ahead of you is the utility room or the laundry room where the washer and dryer are located. And as you walk into the utility room, there's a door that leads into the garage and this is on your left-hand side. So now that we kind of have a somewhat of a layout of the, the crime area, what's going to follow is first the verbatim testimony from Officer David Waddell, the first officer on the scene. The actual testimony is much more informative uh, when you have the whole picture instead of just a quick summary. And you'll note that during some portions, it gets a little testy between the prosecutor and the defense. So this uh, testimony is to, or this information that follows, is to, it's a motion to hold the defendant, so Darley, without bond. And the first day of this was on August 26th of 1996, almost three months after the crime has occurred. It starts off with the uh, prosecutor, uh, direct examination by the prosecutor, Greg Davis. And it starts off like this. Would you please state your full name? David Waddell. Are you a Rowlett police officer? Not at the time, I'm not. Okay, back on June the 6th of 1996, were you a Rowlett police officer? Yes, sir. And what hours were you working that day? I was working 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Okay. Did you have any particular beat or area of the town that you were patrolling? I was working the east side of town, which is 82 beat. Okay. Now I'm going to take you back to approximately 2.30, which would be the early morning hours of June 6th of 1996. At about that time, officer, did you receive a call to go to a location on Eagle Drive? Yes, I did. And do you recall where you were when you got that call? I was sitting on the side of Highway 66. I believe it was the Victory Baptist Church parking lot. Okay. About how far away from 5801 Eagle were you? About two miles, probably. Did you immediately go to that location? Yes, I did. Approximately how long did it take you to get from the Victory Baptist Church to the location on Eagle Drive? Approximately two to three minutes. Now, during the time that you were going from your location to Eagle Drive, officer, did you see any suspicious automobiles speeding away from the general area of Eagle Drive? No, sir, I didn't. Were you by yourself that night? Yes, sir. Were you in uniform? Yes, sir. Were you in a marked patrol car? Yes, I was. When you... Did you go to 5801 Eagle Drive? Yes, sir. 
Is that in Dallas County, Texas? Yes, it is. Could you tell us what is the very first thing that you noticed when you got to 5801 Eagle Drive? When I first stopped the patrol car on the north side of the house, I noticed Mr. Routier running from the front door, running out into the front yard. Okay. Do you recall how he was dressed that evening or that morning? He was wearing blue jeans and no shirt and no shoes. Okay. Was he saying anything as he left the house? He was hollering for help, telling me to come help him because his kids had been stabbed and they were dying. When you say that you parked on the north side of the house, would that be in front of the house or on the side? It was on the side of the house. Okay, I'm gonna pause here and talk a little bit about how to visualize this because I know that I've described the inside of the house, but I haven't yet talked about the exterior. Now the Routier home actually sits on a large corner lot on Eagle Drive in Rowlett, Texas. If you're looking at the area from above, Eagle Drive runs at first straight west to east. It then curves downwards heading southeast. Now the curve of the street is where the Routier's house is located. In this neighborhood, uh, the garages and the entrance into the garages are located behind the homes. So in the Routier's case, if you were to be coming home and wanted to put your car in the garage, you would turn into the alley right off of the straight portion of Eagle Drive and then turn left, in, for the Routier's at least, turn left into your driveway and this portion of the house faces west. So this means that the side of the Routier's garage, as well as, as the side of the house, are alongside the straight portion of Eagle Drive just before the street curves. So the section of the street that Officer Waddell was parked on, according to him, was along this straight-edged portion before the curve. And this would put him next to, or in between, the alleyway and the actual front of the house. And this is important because he said he saw Darren running from the front door out into the front yard. But this would be really difficult to see, to see the actual front door of the house if he were parked on the north side of the house, where he said he was, because the front door faces east. Now I could see him saying that he saw Darren coming from quote, the direction of the front door of the house, but it would be very difficult to see the actual front door from his location. Now this could either mean that he was mistaken as to where he parked, or he just assumed that Darren came from the front door. Anyway, that's my two cents. Let's continue with, the, with this bond hearing. And remember, we have just left off with uh, the question being, when you say that you parked on the north side of the house, would that be in front of the house or on the side? And the officer responds with, it was on the side of the house. The next question is, so did you stop and talk with him outside or did you go inside then? And Officer Waddell answers, I met him in the front yard and asked him what was going on. And as soon as I got up to him, he turned and went back into the house and I followed him into the house. Now, when you went inside the house, where did you go? Straight, there is an entranceway. I walked into the entranceway of the house 
and I saw blood everywhere on the floor and I kind of stopped to see where I was going and what I was getting into. All right. Was there actually blood in the hallway or the entryway as you came into the house? Yes. Is that the blood you are talking about? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, where did you go next? I went into the living room. And when you say the living room, as you go into the house, if we can picture this, there is a hallway that leads straight in, correct? Yes, sir. Immediately to the left hand, as you walk in the front door, isn't there some kind of formal living room area? Yes, sir. I believe there is. All right. Now, did you go into that room or did you go farther into the house? I went straight into the house, into the room, which is adjacent to the kitchen. So if we could, if we could talk about that as being either the den or the family room. Okay. Yes, sir. So when you went into this family room or the den, what did you see? I saw a little boy laying on the left side of the wall and I saw Mrs. Routier standing beside the bar talking on the telephone. When you say Mrs. Routier, are you speaking about the defendant, Darley Routier? Yes, I am. Is she seated over here to my left in white coveralls? Yes, she is. How far, you say that you saw a boy laying on the floor to the left, how far away from that boy was Mrs. Routier when you first saw her? Maybe three feet, four feet. Okay. Was she, did it appear that she was giving any sort of first aid or CPR or any sort of care to the boy? No. Okay. Again, what was she doing? She was talking on the telephone. Could you tell who she was talking to? I didn't know. I assumed it was the dispatcher. All right. Did you stop and look at the boy that was on the floor? Yes, I did. And could you please describe his physical condition to the court? He was laying on his stomach. I could see he had blood all over his back. He was trying to move and he was gasping for breath. And that is, I stepped over his feet and went over to her to try and find out where the suspect was. Could you tell whether his eyes were open or not? His eyes were open. In what direction would his face have been turned? Toward Mrs. Routier or away from Mrs. Routier? Towards. Was there anything that you could see that stood between Mrs. Routier and the child that would have prevented her from looking at his at this child's face and seeing that his eyes were open and that he was gasping for breath? No, he was looking at us when I stepped over him to get next to her. He was looking up at both of us. Did you ever hear him say anything? No words. No. Okay. Do you recall whether there was a towel or any other object on his, on the top of his back? No, there was not. Describe Mrs. Routier's physical condition when, or, or her appearance when she was on the telephone. She was wearing a white t-shirt that was soaked in blood. 
She was holding a towel over her neck with one hand and the telephone was in the other hand. Where did Mr. Routier go? He went to a second child that was farther into the family room. Did you see what he did with that child? He was trying to administer first aid to him. Okay. Did you have a conversation with Mrs. Routier? I talked to her briefly. Yes. Okay. Could you tell us what that conversation was? I believe the first thing I asked her was who had done this. When I asked her that, she told me that he was still, somebody was still in the house. And then I directed my attention. She pointed to the garage and she told me that somebody had run out into the garage. I stepped over to look at, into the garage just to see if I could see anybody and told her to apply some pressure to the child's first child's wounds. Did she? No. What did she do? She sat down on the floor right where she was standing. Well, after you told her to apply the pressure and she sat down, what happened next? I walked back over to where she was and I asked her again who had done it and if there had been any problems in the house or if they had had any problems with anybody that she might think would have done it. And she told me no. And she kept telling me that the guy was still in the house. She told me that she had fought with somebody in the kitchen area and that after she fought with him, he had run out into the garage and dropped the knife somewhere in the kitchen between the kitchen and the garage and that she had went and picked up the knife and laid it on the counter, which was she pointed at the counter and the knife was sitting there. And she told me that she probably should not have done that because she messed up fingerprints on the knife. I told her not to worry about that. I said, get down and help your little boy there and I will keep an eye on the garage. When you told her this second time to go down there and help her boy, did she? No. What did she do? She was sitting down at the time. And when I told her that, she looked up at me and pulled the towel off of her neck and showed me the cut on her neck. This telephone that she was on initially, was this a cordless telephone? I believe it was. So you had told her at this point twice to go tend to the boy. Is that right? Yes. And she had not done that on either occasion. Right. The second time that you told her to go over there and care for this child, could you see what his condition was? Had it changed? He was not moving anymore. Could you see whether his eyes were still open? or not? I don't know that his eyes were still open or not at the time. Well, after you told her the second time to go take care of the child and she sat there, tell us what happened next. Well, Mr. Routier, Darren, was hollering at me back and forth to try to get me to do something. He was still trying to help the second child. He told me that he was unable to do it. He tried CPR and he told me that he was just blowing air through his chest. And then he told me that there was no use, that he was dead. He got up and walked. He walked over to where the first boy was. I don't know what he was doing. I had my attention focused on the garage until my backup could get there. And I just pretty much just waited there until Sergeant Walling got there. When Mrs. Routier was telling you about this person who had broken in and attacked her and the two children, 
Did she give you a description of that person? I asked her what she what he looked like, and she told me that I believe she told me that it was a male, and she might have told me some type of clothing, which I don't recall right off, but she didn't know if he was black or white. And this fight that occurred between her and this other person, again, what area was she pointing to as being the site of the fight? Just right at the end of the bar, just inside the kitchen. So it would be the area of the kitchen closest to the den or the family room. Is that right? Yes, sir. At the time that you were talking with her, when you first came in there, do you recall whether she was crying or not? She was screaming and yelling and appeared to be hysterical to me. I couldn't say whether she was crying tears or not. She appeared to be hysterical. Okay. And during this time period, though, is this the time when she told you about the description of the intruder, the site of the fight, and also where the knife had been dropped? Yes, sir. And this was, was this also the conversation or the time period in which she told you that she had picked up the knife? Yes, sir. Was this also the time period in which she told you her concerns about fingerprints on the knife? Yes, sir. Did you find that unusual at all? Yes, I did. In what way? Well, her, she had a boy that was lying beside both of us, looking up at us and was trying to breathe. And she didn't appear to be concerned about him. She was more concerned about the actual crime scene, which I thought was unusual. At some point, did Sergeant Walling arrive on the scene? Yes, he did. And at some point, did you and Officer Walling go back there to the garage? Yes, sir. Did you see anyone inside the garage? No, sir. Did you or Officer Walling at some point make some sort of search of the outside of the lot of the house? Yes, we did. Was any intruder ever found on the property? No, sir. At some point, a canine unit was called from the Garland Police Department to come to the scene? Yes, sir, it was. And did the canine unit make a search of that area surrounding the house? Yes, sir. And did you assist Officer Griffith of the Garland Police Department in making that search? Yes, I did. And what were the results of that canine search? Well, there were no results indicating that anybody was in the area. And how long did that search take place approximately? I think it was a little bit less than an hour, probably 50 minutes. So the results were negative on the canine search also. Yes, sir. Did the paramedics arrive there at the scene while you were still there with Mrs. Routier? Yes, they did. Did you do anything with Mr. and Mrs. Routier in response to the paramedics being there with the boys? I had them. I believe Mr. Routier was trying to get with the paramedics, and I guess he was trying to help them out. My concern was that he was going to be in the way, and I asked both of them to come sit down beside the sliding glass door that goes into the backyard. Okay. The boy that you saw initially when you went into the room that was gasping for breath and initially, uh, did the paramedics come in and tend to him? 
Yes, sir, they did. And did the paramedics almost immediately take him from the room? Yes, they did. In your experience as a police officer, were you expecting any sort of reaction from Mr. and Mrs. Routier when that occurred? I was expecting to have to physically hold them back when they were taking the kids out. Why is that? Well, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I would have a hard time seeing my girls, my little girl being carried off. Why did Mrs. Routier, what did Mrs. Routier do when the paramedics came in and attended to this boy and then took him out of the house? She went and sat on the floor like I asked her to. All right. Did she ever, did you ever hear her say anything to the effect of, where are you taking my boy? No, sir. Did you ever hear her say anything to the effect of, how is my boy doing? No, sir. Did you ever hear anything to the effect of, is he alive still? No, sir. Did you ever hear her ask anything about that boy's condition? No, sir. Now, the child that was taken out, was he taken to an ambulance there in front of the house? Yes, he was. Did he die in that ambulance? Is that your understanding? It is my understanding that he did. The other child that was in the room, was he left in the room for some period of time? Yes, he was. Did you ever hear Mrs. Routier ever ask about his condition? No. Did you ever see Mrs. Routier make any sort of attempt to go over to him? No, she didn't. Did you ever see Mrs. Routier ever touch either of those boys from the time that you got there to that house? No. At this point, the prosecutor, who's asking questions of Officer Waddell, uh, brings up some documents to present to the court and wants to uh, just admit these into evidence. He then continues... Officer Waddell, if you would look please at States Exhibit number six and number seven and number eight, do these photographs truly and accurately depict portions of the scene there at 5801 Eagle as it appeared on June 6th, 1996? Yes. Officer Waddell, looking at States Exhibit number six, is this a photograph of the boy that Mr. Routier went over to tend to? Yes. And you say that it appeared to you that he was trying to give this boy CPR. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, this is not the boy that you saw initially lying on the floor gasping for breath, is it? No. This boy was in, was over in another portion of the room. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. In fact, if we look at States Exhibit number seven, is this a coffee table? that is in that room, in the family room? Yes. And is there a grouping, a love seat and a couch that surround this? Yes, there is. Okay. If we're looking, if there is a big screen television over here on this portion of the room, yes, there is. So the boy that we see here in States Exhibit number six, this boy was laying on the floor over here closer to the area of the big screen television. Is that right? Yes. The other boy that you saw initially lying on the floor, would he have been in the front portion of that family room closer to the hallway 
that leads out to the front of the house? Yes, he was. So the boys were actually kind of across the room from each other, correct? Correct. And in reference to this photograph, would Mrs. Routier have been standing over somewhere behind the love seat portion? Yes. Closer to the kitchen. Is that right? Yes, sir. States exhibit number eight. Is this, does this show a counter or a bar that runs, it separates the family area here on the left-hand portion of the photograph from the kitchen on the right-hand portion? Yes. And we see a plastic runner with some blood on it. The boy that was face down, would he have been closer to this area over here? Yes, he was. Okay, near the runner, is that right? Right. Okay. Do we see a knife that is with a white handle that is here on the bar separating the kitchen and the family area? Yes, sir. Is this where Mrs. Routier indicated that she had placed the knife? Yes. Did you have an opportunity to look at the knife? I just glanced at it. Do you recall whether or not this is a single-edged blade on the knife? Yes, it was a single-edged blade. And had she indicated that she had actually picked this up from somewhere between the kitchen and the garage and then placed it up here, is that right? That's correct. Okay. Officer, did you notice whether or not there were any valuables up there on this counter, on this countertop or this bar, which separates the kitchen and the den? I didn't notice if there was or not. Okay, officer, in your duties as a relic police officer, have you seen individuals perhaps involved in accidents or other trauma that appeared to you to be in shock? Yes, I have. All right, and from your experience, did it appear to you as though Darlie Routier was suffering from shock at the time you saw her at 5801 Eagle Drive on June 6, 1996? No, sir. Can you tell us why you have reached that conclusion? Well, people who I have dealt with that are in shock typically don't think, are not capable of thinking about what's going on around them. She was real consistent on letting me know that she had moved the knife and that she had messed up the crime scene. Typically, people won't worry about a crime scene when there's people dying, especially their children around them. Was she able to follow your instructions? Yes, she was. With the exception of going over and tending to Damon, to the younger child. Yes, that's correct. Did she follow every other instruction that you gave her that evening or that morning? Yes, she did. How long did you remain there at the scene? I'm not sure. I think it was probably until about 7 o'clock in the morning. And how long did Mrs. Routier remain at the scene before she was taken. I'm not real sure on that. It was probably less than 30 minutes. Did you ever hear her during the course of your time with her? Did you ever hear her ask about the condition of her two children? No, I did not. All of these events that you have just told us about, did they occur on June 6, 1996 in Dallas County, Texas? Yes, they did. At this point, uh, Greg Davis says, I'll pass the witness. And it is now time for Mr. Wayne Huff, 
who works with um, Doug Parks, the current lead defense attorney for Darley. It's his time to do cross-examination. Officer, did you prepare a written report? Yes, I did. About this matter? Yes, I did. Okay. Officer Waddell, how long have you been a police officer out in Rowlett? About four and a half years. And is that the first police job you have had? No, sir. Where else have you worked? I worked in Glen Heights for about nine months, and I reserved in Heath for probably about nine months. Okay, how many murders have you worked prior to this one? Maybe one or two. All right. Was that when you were with Rowlett? One of them was with Rowlett, sir. All right. How many murders have you worked where a person's child has been killed? None. All right. How many murders have you worked involving stabbings? None. This was the first one. Yes, sir. How many of these accidents have you worked where you say people were in shock? Countless. I don't know how many people go into shock on car accidents. Well, if a person is injured in a car accident, they will go into shock. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, what do they act like? Well, they just act like they are in a daze and they don't really know what's going on around them. Do they ever act hysterical? Sometimes, yes. Emotional? Sometimes, yes. Irrational? I guess they could. Okay, how many people have you actually seen in shock? I don't know. I couldn't put a number on it. More than 10? Probably. More than 20? Probably not. All right. How many people had you seen before this date that had their two children stabbed in front of them? None. How many people had you seen before this date that had their two children stabbed in front of them and had their throat slashed? None. How many mothers had you dealt with before that have just lost their children? Maybe four or five. In some traffic accidents? No, sir, just different things. No traffic accidents. How many mothers had you dealt with before whose children had been killed in their own presence? Maybe one. Before this? Yes. Was that a murder? No, sir, it was not a murder. Traffic accident? It was a drowning. Drowning? Yes. Can people go into shock from loss of blood? Well, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if they can. I guess they can. I couldn't say for sure. Well, would you say that Mrs. Routier was bleeding rather profusely? She had blood all over her t-shirt. It was dripping on the floor too, wasn't it? There was blood on the floor, yes. Was she actually dripping blood on the floor in your presence? I don't recall seeing, paying attention to whether it was dripping, but I know her shirt was soaked in blood. By the time you arrived, it was soaked in blood, correct? Yes. Officer, were you the first officer on the scene? Yes, sir. Were you working alone? Yes, sir. 
who was the second officer on the scene? Sergeant Walling. How long were you there before he arrived? Maybe three or four minutes. I really couldn't tell you. It wasn't real long. Now, you say that. How long did it take you to get to the house? Two to three minutes. Now, you would have gone from 66 and proceeded down Dalrock. Is that correct? Yes, sir. You would have taken a right on... What is that street? Linda Vista. Okay. And the house is how far away from there? From Linda Vista and Dalrock? Yes, sir. Maybe a couple of blocks. Did you see any other cars on the road that night? I don't recall seeing any. No. No? So there could have been some on, I guess, on Dalrock that you didn't notice? There could have been. From Dalrock, you turn into this housing development, don't you, where the routiers live? Yes, sir. Numerous streets, aren't there? Yes, sir. Did you see any other traffic on those streets? I didn't see any, no. Okay. Two to three minutes would be plenty of time for somebody to drive out of that housing development and get right back on Dalrock. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, when you arrived, you said that Mr. Routier was outside of the house. He was running out the front door. Yes. To where? I don't know where he was going. I assumed he was running across the street. Did he say he was running across the street? No. What was his condition? He was, he seemed excited and he was emotional about what had taken place in the house. Okay, what did he say to you? He told me that I needed to come in there and help him because his kids were dying. Okay, did he say anything else? Not that I recall. All right. Now, you went in the house, is that right? Yes, sir. Do you remember what the inside looked like? Pretty much. Let me show you what has been marked as Defendant's Exhibit Number 1. And I will ask you if you can identify that as a schematic of the downstairs of the house in this case. I thought the stairs were on this side. You thought the stairs were on the left instead of the right as you walked in? Yes. All right. What else on there looks different than the way you remember it? That's all I can tell from here. So the rest of it looks okay. Is that right? Yes, sir. Where were the boys laying when you walked in? One was right here against this wall and the other one was in the floor over here. All right. Now, in your report, you referred to one of them as the second victim. Is that right? Right. Where was the second victim? The second one being over here. With this red pen, I want you to mark where the second victim was. Okay. And he complies. All right. With a one, I want you to mark where the first victim was. And again, he says, okay, and complies. And now I want you to put a triangle where you say Mrs. Routier was. And again, he says, okay, and he complies. Now, when you went back to the house, in the house, where was Mr. Routier? Where did he go? 
I believe he went straight back over here to the second child. To the second child. Yes. Okay, just put an F there for father. And again, the officer Waddell complies. What was he doing with the second child when he went back over there? He was on his hands and knees trying to give him some first aid. All right. Oh, did you go back to the garage when you arrived? When I first got there, no. All right. How long after you arrived did you first go back to the garage? I went to the garage when Sergeant Walling arrived. And not before? No, sir. You didn't try to secure the house and make sure that no one else was still in there? I didn't go all the way around the house. I secured the immediate area that we were in. All right, so Mrs. Routier told you that the person was still in the house and you didn't go looking for them? That's right. She told me he was in the garage. All right, did she point to where the garage was? Yes. You talked about an island. Do you see the island in this diagram? Yes, sir. Is this the island? Yes, sir. Is that what you are talking about? Well, I don't know that I mentioned the island. Okay, you mentioned the bar. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is where you drew the triangle where Mrs. Routier was standing. Is that correct? Right. What route did you and Sergeant Walling take to get back to the garage? From here around this way. Just draw an arrow to indicate the route that you and he took. Okay, and again, the witness draws on the schematic. Okay, did you actually enter the garage? Sergeant Walling did. Okay, was the door to the garage? Okay, there is a door to the laundry room, right? Right. Was it open or closed? I believe they were open. And the laundry room, just for the record, is what is marked as room number three. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And is there a door to the garage from the laundry room? Yes. Was it open or closed? I believe it was open. All right. So both the door to the laundry room and the door to the garage were open. Yes. Did you notice any blood in the laundry room? No. There was no blood. I didn't notice any. Okay. There was no obvious blood to you in the laundry room? I'm saying I didn't see any in the laundry room. Okay. Well, I mean, if there was blood smeared on the door out here, you would have seen it, right? More than likely, but... Okay, and if there was blood all over the washing machine, you would have seen that too, right? Well, not necessarily. Well, if there was blood on the floor that you had to walk through to get back there, you are a trained police officer. You would have noticed that, wouldn't you? More than likely, yes. Okay. You didn't see any, did you? Not that I recall. There was some on the floor in the kitchen area. All right. Where? Just, it was all over the kitchen area there. Okay. You mean... Are you indicating this entire area around the sink and the island there? There was blood there, yes. Okay. What else was on the floor there? I'm not sure. 
Was there anything, any large objects laying on the floor? I didn't see any. Nothing you could trip over if you were walking to the sink. I didn't see any. Let me point to, do you see where the number two is there? Yes, sir. Were there any large objects laying in that vicinity that you saw? I didn't see any. Was there a wine rack in the kitchen area? I remember seeing a wine rack. Was there broken glass in the kitchen area? There was a broken glass. Okay, but no other large objects that you saw on the floor of the kitchen. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Now let's talk about the family room. How was the family room furnished when you entered? How was it furnished? Yes, sir. There was two couches and a TV and a coffee table is what I remember. Okay, do you remember a chair that resembled the couches? Not that I recall. All right, was there a coffee table in front of the couches? Yes. How were the couches positioned? I think they were in an L-shaped. Okay, draw that for us, will you please? Okay, and the officer goes ahead and draws a, a picture as you recall it. And then he continues draw, to draw on and says, okay, I guess these would be the two couches. Okay, and where was the coffee table? Right in the middle of them. Draw that in too, just draw a little square for that. Okay, and he goes ahead and draws a little square. Was there a table between the two couches? I don't know. Okay, was there anything on the coffee table? There might have been some flowers. Okay, were they turned over, sitting upright, or what position were they? I believe they were knocked over. They were knocked over? Yes. Okay. Where was the... Was there a television? There was a television. Where was that? I think it was right here. Okay, just draw that in as best you can and we will mark that. Okay, and again, he draws where the television would have been. Okay, just put a TV in there if you would. Okay. Was the television on or off? It was on. Volume turned on or off. I don't remember hearing it. Okay. You didn't hear anything on the television, just saw the screen. Right. Okay. Were the lights on or off? when you went into the room. I believe they were on. All right. Okay. Did you see the knife that Mrs. Routier directed you towards? Yes, I did. Where was it? It was on the end of the bar. Draw that. Just put a K where the knife was. Okay. And again, he complies. Was the, which way was the point of the knife? It was facing toward the kitchen. All right. That little arrow indicates the direction. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Now, how many times did you go through the kitchen to the garage? One time. All right. How many times did you actually go into the kitchen? Twice. Now, you went there once to look in the garage with Sergeant Walling. When was the other time you went in there? I went halfway Whenever she told me that he was still in the garage, I walked halfway and tried to peek into the garage area. All right. Was there blood on that floor you were walking on? 
I believe there was. Okay, did you step in this blood? I might have. I didn't think I did. Okay, I don't know. All right. Well, when you and Sergeant Walling went out to look in the garage, did either one of you step in any of the blood? I don't know if we did or not. Did you check your shoes after you left the scene to see if you had blood on them? Yes, I did. Did you? No. Okay. When did you check your shoes? After we went outside and looked through the backyard. Mm-hmm. Now, you and Officer, you were there first. Officer Walling arrived in about three or four minutes. Is that correct? I guess. I'm not sure how long it took him. Okay. I assumed it was two to three or four minutes, somewhere in that area. Now, was this during the time that you said you wanted Mrs. Routier to administer first aid? Yes. Okay. And this is the time when you told her to do that? Yes. Okay. Did you ever tell her to do that after Sergeant Walling arrived? I don't think so. Okay. Did Sergeant Walling ever tell her to administer first aid? I don't know what he told her. Well, you were there with him in her presence before the paramedics arrived? Yes. What do you remember Sergeant Walling telling either of the routiers? I don't know what Sergeant Walling told either one of them. Okay, did he tell them anything? He could have, but you don't remember that part, is that right? Right. Okay. You remember practically every word that Mrs. Routier said to you, but not much that Sergeant Walling said. Is that correct? I didn't say that either. Well, I remember some things that she told me. Did everything she told you, did she tell you that before Sergeant Walling arrived? Yes, sir. Okay. So nothing you have testified to here today about what she said to you happened after Sergeant Walling arrived. The best I can remember, no. Did anyone go upstairs before Sergeant Walling arrived? No. How about after he arrived? After he arrived, yes. Who went upstairs? I believe two of the paramedics went upstairs Myself and Sergeant Walling went upstairs. All right. When did y'all go upstairs? After the paramedics came in and started taking care of the injuries. Did Mr. Routier ever go upstairs? Not that I'm aware of. He never went up there to check on the baby. Not that I, I didn't see him go up there. I mean, he could have. I don't know if he did or not. Did anyone inquire about the baby upstairs, either of the routiers, in your presence? Neither one of them asked me, no. Did they say anything about the baby? No. Drake? No. Did you notice an open window and a screen that was cut in the garage? Yes. When did you notice that? When we went around to the backyard? How did you notice it? Was it pointed out to you? Yes. Who pointed it out? Sergeant Walling told me it was cut when we first went into the garage. All right. 
I didn't go in to look at it at that time. We went around to the back. So he looked over there and saw the window was cut when he first walked into the garage. Is that correct? Right. So I guess he could see right over to the window from inside the garage. Is that correct? He stepped all the way into the garage and looked around and I was behind him. Was there anything obstructing someone from getting to that window or to enter or exit the house? I believe there was a small little trail going to the window. Small little trail of what? There was a lot of stuff in the garage. All right, but there was a trail leading directly to the window. A narrow path, if you want to call it that that someone could have walked through. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Would you draw in where that window was, where the screen was cut? Yes. And he goes ahead and and draws this out. Okay. That is this red mark that you put in the garage. Is that correct? Right. Was the garage door opened or closed? The big door? Yes, sir. The big door was closed. Was it locked? I believe so. I'm not sure. Did you check it? I didn't check it. No. Okay. You wrote a written report in this case, officer. Yes, sir. Let me show you what has been marked as defendant's exhibit number two and ask you to look through it and ask you if that is the total of your written report. It looks like one of the three written reports that I did for that night. Three written reports? Yes, sir. Well, let's see. We have one that is dated the 6th. Is that correct? That was the day of the incident. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And that is a two-page narrative. Is that right? Yes, sir. Then we have a supplement report dated the 6th. Yes, sir. Is that the second report? There is one for each injury, one for both of the boys and one for the defendant. Okay. But they are all the same narrative. All right. There is also a supplement report with an additional narrative done on the 7th. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, is this all of your reports? Yes, sir. You have indicated to the court that the younger child who you have identified as victim one was lying on the floor. Is that correct? That's correct. Face down? Yes, sir. Face pointed in which direction? It would have been toward the sliding glass doors toward the backyard. All right. So his face was turned over to one side facing the sliding glass door. Right. Gasping for breath? Right. The prosecutor asked if he had said anything and you had said not in words. What did you mean by that? I said he didn't say any words. Okay, did he try to communicate with you in any way? I didn't think that he was trying to communicate with me. I just thought he was trying to breathe. All right, so he was gasping for breath. Is that right? Right. Okay. Now, it took you two or three minutes to get there. Is that correct? Yes, sir. 
Had any first aid been administered to either of the children prior to your arrival? Not that I am aware of. Okay. So if the father was over giving CPR to one of the children who you have identified as victim number two, you wouldn't know one way or the other whether that happened, would you? I knew he did it while I was there. Okay, but you don't know whether he did it before or not, do you? Right? Other than give the child CPR, did the father administer any other first aid to him? I'm not really sure what all he did to him. Well, let's see. You told him to apply pressure to him, didn't you? That's what I told him to do, yes. Did he? I guess he did. I didn't watch to see what he was doing, as I told him. So let's see here. Quote, I instructed the father to apply pressure to the second child's injuries, which he did for approximately one minute and then stated, quote, it's too late. He is already dead, unquote. Is that what you put in your report, officer? That is what's in my report. Yes, sir. Well, was your memory a little fresher back then? He must have put pressure on them. Okay, and you saw that, didn't you? I saw him over there with him. Yes. Okay, and let's see. Quote, At the same time, the mother, Darley, told me that she thought the suspect might still be in the garage. Unquote. Is that correct? Yes. Let's see. You then say, quote, I advised her to apply pressure to the complainant's injuries while I secured the immediate area we were in, unquote. This is your report on the 6th, the first report. Is that correct? Right. All right. Where does it say in this report that she didn't do that? It's right here on this page, sir. Oh, you mean the one that you did on the 7th? Yes, sir. No, I'm talking about the one on the 6th, officer. We'll get to the one on the 7th in a minute. Oh, well, I don't know that it says that on the one on the 6th. Well, it doesn't say it, does it? No, sir. Does it? No, sir. It doesn't say you asked her three times either, does it? Well, I don't know if it says two or three. In fact, it only says once, doesn't it? Yes. All right. Let's see, when you arrived and got in the house and you saw Mrs. Routier still talking on the 911 call, is that correct? She was still on the phone, yes, sir. She had one hand on the phone. She had one hand on a towel over her neck, right? Yes, sir. Her shirt was, and these are your words, officer, quote, soaked in blood. Yes, sir. And she was extremely upset, is that right? Yes, sir. And I believe your words were, officer, that you told the court that she appeared to be hysterical. Yes, sir. Is that right? I believe so, yes. She was screaming and yelling. Is that right? Yes, sir. What was she screaming and yelling? For me to get help. For you to get help? Yes, sir. Is that what you would expect from a mother whose children had been injured? That is part of what I would expect, yes. Right. So did that part of what she said meet up to your expectations? Yes. Okay. Well, tell us, officer, 
in your vast experience in cases just like this. And at this point, the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis, interrupts and says, I'm sorry, I have got to object to the argumentative nature. You know, there is no reason to insult this officer through cross-examination. If we could just have question and answer, please. And then the court says, try again. So Mr. Huff again asks the question in a different way and says, what did she do that you didn't think was right, officer? She didn't help her dying boy. Okay. Although you asked her to three times. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, officer, who is the first Rowlett police officer that you told about this version of events? Who and when? The whole incident? I guess it would have been a crime scene officer that was out there, Sergeant Neighbors. All right. And when was that? It might have been a couple of hours after the whole thing was over. When did you write your first written report? Probably about seven or eight o'clock that morning. All right. And who did you give that report to? I believe Sergeant Walling. All right. Did you ever talk to, after you talked to the crime scene officer, did you talk to any other officer prior to doing your first written report? I believe I talked with Detective Frosch. Okay. When did you talk to him? When I was at the police station doing the report. All right. That was 7 a.m. in the morning. Yes, sir. Who else interviewed you? Nobody interviewed me. Okay. Did Detective Patterson ever interview you? No. Okay. I might have talked to Officer Needham at the police station. He was never at the scene. All right. When did you first learn that Mrs. Routier was a sub suspect in this case? Probably while we were at the scene still. While you were still at the scene? Yes. Who told you that? I thought it was a possibility myself. Well, who else thought it was a possibility? Well, I don't know who else thought it was a possibility. Did anyone say it was a possibility? No, everybody thought that anybody could have done it at the time. All right, well... When did people first direct their major part of their attention to the defendant in this case? I don't know. After I left the scene, I had my own opinion and they did their thing and I did mine. All right. Well, what was your opinion? My opinion was that it was somebody in the house, either her, the defendant or the husband. Okay. So you already had an opinion about that. Is that right? That was my opinion. All right. Now, when did you write your second report? The one on June the 7th. What time? I'm not sure what time. It was on the 7th. Well, morning, afternoon, evening. Well, probably when I came to work that night. Okay. So how many hours had passed from the time you wrote your first report until the time you wrote your second supplement? At least, well, close to 20 or 24 hours. Okay. And what caused you to write that second report? I just started thinking back on what all, all that I saw. Did anyone ask you to write a supplement? No, sir. They didn't. This is just something you decided to do on your own. Yes, sir. 
Officer, from what you saw of the children, did it appear to you that they were dying? Yes. Did it appear to you that the oldest one was already dead? Yes. Did it appear to you that the youngest one could not be saved? It appeared that way. While you were there with the mother, what did you do to aid the youngest child? I gave instructions for the parents to take care of them while I tried to take care of everybody that was there, thinking the suspect was still in the house at the time. Did you administer first aid to the youngest child? No, sir. Have you had training in first aid? Yes, sir. Do you know whether the defendant has had training in first aid? I don't know if they did or not. That is why I instructed them on what to do. Okay, now let's talk about your report on the 7th. This is when you first said, quote, I told her two or three times. And then at this point, again, the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis, interrupts and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to object to counsel reading from a document that is not in evidence. It's hearsay. At which point, Mr. Wayne Huff says, then I'll offer it. The prosecutor, Mr. Davis, then says, I'll object to it as being hearsay. It's not used by this witness in his testimony and not reviewed by this witness for his testimony. I know of no exception to hearsay for a police report to be put in at this point. It's improper impeachment. At this point, Mr. Huff is still allowed to go ahead and continue with his questioning. Well, officer, the first time you wrote a report saying that you asked her two or three times to administer first aid was on the 7th. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And the first time you wrote anything in your report about her not doing that was on the 7th, not the 6th. Is that correct? Right. And the first time you wrote anything in your report about her showing you the wound and saying, quote, I have been cut. Look what he did to me was on the 7th. Is that correct? Yes. By the way, in your report on the 6th, you didn't put anything about her actions that night being suspicious, did you? No. When did a police officer, any police officer, first indicate to you that Mrs. Routier was a suspect in this case? When did that first occur? I couldn't tell you. It might have been several days after it when they completed the crime scene. When did you first ever tell a police officer that you thought Mrs. Routier should be a suspect in this case? I don't know that I told anybody she should be a suspect, but it was your opinion from the very first that she should be. Not from the very first. After I went to the station, after I had been there, that is when I made my opinion. All right. Officer, when you arrived at the scene, what did Mrs. Routier tell you about where the assailant was? She told me that she thought he was still in the garage. Okay. Did she tell you that he had gone out through the utility room and into the garage? She did point in that direction, saying that he went that way into the garage. Did she ever tell you that he had gone out of the house? No. You said that she thought that he was still in the house? Yes. Did she tell you anything about the attack upon her? She just told me that she fought with him. All right. Did she tell you where he was when she first saw him? 
No. Did she tell you that he was standing over her with a knife in his hand? No, she didn't tell me that. Did she tell you that she struggled with him? She told me she fought with him. All right. Did she tell you where that occurred? We were standing at the end of the bar and she was telling me that it happened right there. That the struggle happened at the bar. At the end of the bar. All right. Did she tell you how he exited the house? Did he walk, run, trot? Or how did he get out of the house? She said she chased him. She chased him out of the house. She chased him out of the house. I guess that means they ran. Is that right? Well, that's the way I understood it. Yes, sir. Okay. Did she tell you what it was that she realized that she had been stabbed? No, she didn't tell me that. All right. So she didn't say whether she had been stabbed on the couch or at the end of the bar or somewhere else. Is that right? Not to me, sir. No. All right. Did she give you any clothing description of the assailant? I believe she told me that he was wearing dark pants and a black t-shirt and possibly a black cap. Okay. All right. Did she describe his height? She just said he was, I think she said a little tall. She didn't go into any details. She said he could have been either black or white. Yes, sir. Did she give you a weight description? No, not that I recall. How about facial hair? Did she give you a description of facial hair? Not that I recall. Did you ask for one? I asked for a general description. Did she ever tell you, talk to you about getting a towel from the kitchen sink? No, sir. Did she have a towel wrapped around her? She had a towel that she was pressing on her neck. Was it wet or dry? I'm not sure. It had blood on it. Officer, how many... At any one time, while you were there, how many police officers were inside this house? Just two. You and Waddell. I am Waddell, myself, and Sergeant Walling. You and Walling. Yes, sir. Okay, and you and Walling were the only two police officers that were in there while you were there. That's correct. How many paramedics came into the house while you were there? Probably five, four or five. All right, so there were a total of seven people in the house, plus the routiers and plus the two children. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, was anyone moving furniture in order to get to the children or moving any objects that you recall? Not that I recall, no. Okay, were you in the family room the entire time the paramedics were there? No, sir. All right. Where were you the other part of the time? When the paramedics got there and started treating the injuries after they had taken the first child out to the ambulance, Myself and Sergeant Walling went upstairs. Okay, so what they did in the family room, you weren't there for all of that. Is that correct? Right. Okay, so if they had to move some objects to treat the children, you may not have seen it. Is that correct? Right. All right. Now, were you still there when the paramedics left? Yes, I was. Were you there when the last paramedic left yes I was 
How long after you were called to the scene did the last paramedic leave? I'm not sure. It was all within 20 or 30 minutes. I'm not really for sure. Okay, so all that you saw and heard happened within 20 to 30 minutes or thereabouts. I would think that is a maximum amount of time. All right, and all of the conversation you had with Mrs. Routier was within three or four minutes of your arrival. For the most part, yes. All right, now, other than the situation with not putting the towel on the child, is there anything else that you requested Mrs. Routier to do that she did not do? No, sir. All right, so when you asked her to sit over there by the patio, was that by the patio door? It was by the sliding glass door. Yes, sir. All right. When you asked she and her husband to do that, they did that. Is that correct? Yes. Is that so the paramedics could work with the children? Yes, sir. All right. Did you ever see any of the paramedics go into the kitchen area? No, sir. All right. Where were the routiers seated? Where did you have them sit on the patio door or floor? Probably right beside these two doors and behind this couch. Okay, and they were just seated on the floor back there. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, but right in front of those glass doors. Yes, sir. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, how long did they sit there? Maybe a few minutes, not, it was not very long. I think Mr. Routier got up and even went outside. All right, well, was Mrs. Routier still hysterical at that point? No, sir. Was she still upset, extremely upset? She was not yelling or screaming, no. Okay, and she should have been doing that, right? I don't know what she should have been doing or not. Okay, well, you told Mr. Davis that you thought it was suspicious that you didn't have to restrain her when they were taking her child to the hospital. Do you apparently think that should have happened? I think a normal reaction would have been to try to be with your children. Wouldn't a normal reaction to be to want to get your child to the hospital? Yes, sir. Officer, when you left the residence, did you stay outside the residence for any period of time? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, how long? Until about 7 o'clock that morning. Okay, did any other police officers go in or out of the residence at during that time? And not until the crime scene. Uh, the crime scene was the next officers that went into the house. Did any other paramedics or civilians go into the house? No. Okay, did any firemen go in there? They were there initially. They were probably within the four or five people that were in there besides myself and Sergeant Walling. Okay, so there were some firemen in there in addition to the paramedics. Yes, sir. Did a neighbor lady ever come into the house while you were there? A neighbor lady came across the street, but she wasn't allowed into the house. She didn't actually walk into the house. No, sir. All right. Now, as I understand it, Officer Walling was the first one that noticed the split screen. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And no one else had pointed that out to you. Is that correct? That's right. 
And Mrs. Rutier told you that she thought the suspect was still in the house. Is that correct? Yes, sir, in the garage. At this point, uh, Mr. Huff is finished questioning Officer Waddell and passes the witness, at which point uh, Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, then gets up and wants to question um, Officer Waddell a little bit longer. So this is how this went. Officer Waddell, did the defendant appear to be under the influence of alcohol when you were talking with her? No, sir. Did she appear to be under the influence of any sort of drug? No, sir. Didn't appear that way. No. Was she barefoot? Yes, sir. Did she at any time ever mention the kitchen sink to you? No, sir. At this point, that's all that Greg Davis has to say or all of his questions. And he says, I'll pass the witness, at which point Mr. Huff then gets up and does a recross examination. Did you ever ask her if she was standing at the kitchen sink? No, sir. Okay. And at this point, the questioning is finished with Officer Waddell. But what happens next? Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, uh, stands up and says, Your Honor, the state at this time will call Darren Routier. So that's where we're going to end this. Um, sorry, <laughs> kind of on a cliffhanger, I know. But it's incredibly long so far. But now that we have listened to Officer Waddell's uh, testimony, at least in regards to this bond hearing, I wanted to make a few key points here. Um, Darren if you remember from part one, uh, he and Darley on the 8th of June had gone to the police station to give their official statements to the police. They actually wrote them down themselves. It was not, uh, they did not speak them and then have an officer do that. They actually wrote these down. Now, in his statement, here is what Darren had said. Um, Darren said, I went downstairs this is after Darley is screaming, ran out of the house and ran across the street to Karen and Terry's door. I banged five to six times as hard as I could until Terry comes to the door first. And when I told them that Devin and Damon were stabbed, they were in shock and ran over with me to the house. And that was when they were putting Damon on a stretcher. Now, this is... Darren's official statement on the 8th. So this is two days, two days after the incident occurred. Yet on the stand, Officer Waddell just testified that when he arrived at the scene about 2.33 or so, according to his testimony, Darren was running out of the house. And when Waddell got up to him, quote, he turned and went back into the house. Darren also said in the previous statement, said that after he had gone to Karen and Terry's house, as he ran back home, he saw them putting Damon on a stretcher. So according to Officer Waddell, when he arrived around 2.33, Darren's running out of the house, went up to the officer, and then turned back to go back inside. According to Darren's statement, he ran outside, got his neighbors, and by this time they were already loading Devin onto a stretcher. Okay. Now, after, after Officer Waddell was there, 
Darren could have left again and went over to Karen's house. If he is seeing Devin being taken away, then the second officer and the paramedics would have already been there. So it would have been much later after the crime occurred and likely after Darley was already off of the 911 call since the paramedics had arrived. Now we know that Darley's call went on about five minutes and 45 seconds. And when she hung up, the paramedics were not yet there. So at the very least, we can estimate that the time Darren would have seen Damon being loaded onto a stretcher would have been around, say, 2.37, 2.40 a.m. So uh, just a, a few little thought processes that are going on inside my head right now, and especially as we go through this, I'm kind of learning some of this brand new just right along with you as I go through these uh, trial testimonies. So again, if you have any commentary or any um, opinions, please don't hesitate to leave them. I mean, um, I would be very, very curious. And lastly, I know this is a, a little out of order, but uh, when the when Janice Townsend Parchman, the doctor who had done the autopsy on uh, Damon, had been talking, and then she continued to talk to talk about Devin, um, and this all goes to the timeline. She had mentioned, according to her testimony, that Devin after having been stabbed would have taken a few quote unquote minutes for blood loss to occur. And then a few quote unquote minutes to pass away. The problem is we don't know exactly what she means when she says a few, you know, to me, it means more than two minutes, but you know, does it mean three or four or maybe even five? The problem is we just don't know, but we can guess. So why am I even bringing this up? Well, earlier, way earlier, <laughs> when I had started this, I had said that the stabbings occurred around 2.22 a.m. based on testimony. And we know that Darley's call came into 911 at 2.30 in the morning. By this time, the kids had already been attacked and she had already woken up, heard glass break, saw a man go through her kitchen into the utility room and then into the garage, chased him there, saw him drop the knife, picked up the knife and yelled for Darren. So if we move back in time, we know that at 2.30, Darley's on the phone with 911. According to this doctor's testimony, Devin, the older of the two children, would have taken a quote unquote few minutes for blood loss to occur and then a quote unquote few minutes for him to pass away. So let's assume that she means at a minimum three minutes for each time she says few. We now have six minutes in total. So since her call came in at 2.30, since Darley's call came in to 911 at 2.30, we can approximate that it was around 2.24 a.m.-ish when the attacks occurred. And here's how. So first, the attacks happen at 2.24. Then Darley hears glass break um, according to Darren's own official statement, this is back in part one, he too heard a sound, quote unquote, unconsciously, which we believe is the glass breaking. Darley then opens her eyes. She sees this man, gets off the couch, screams for Darren and chases the man through the kitchen 
and saw him go through the utility room out to the garage. He drops the knife in the utility room. She picks it up, puts it on the counter, notices the bloodshed and calls 911 again at 2.30. And to be honest, at this point in time, I'm just kind of thinking out loud and lots of speculation, lots on my part. But overall, this actually goes to my own theory, which I'm going to get to um, a little bit later. But nonetheless, I just kind of wanted to put it out there to remember that Dr. Janice Townsend Parchman had said that for Devin to have passed, um, it would have at least been around six minutes. So, and we know for sure that Darley calls 911 at 2.30 in the morning. So just to keep all of that in the back of your mind, um, as we continue on, this is, uh, yeah, this is going to become quite a lengthy, uh, set of episodes, but I don't want to keep you waiting uh, very long um, until we get into more information about the case. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and release this portion now because we're according to my clock. I'm almost at two hours. Hopefully I can shorten this up a little bit. But the next thing that I want to get to is Darren's actual testimony. I know I kind of left you on a cliffhanger there. Um, and again, this is just the bond hearing. This is not even the trial. But there's so much in interesting information here um, that I think is pertinent to everything. So anyway, thank you so much for hanging in there with me. I really appreciate it. Um, if you love this, uh, let me know. Um, if you like the way that this has gone so far, please let me know. Um, if you just freaking hate it, let me know that too. I don't have any issues with that. <laughs> None whatsoever. So if you love it, let me know. If you hate it, let me know. And, um, if you're just kind of curious and want to hear the rest of it, by God, I'll, I'll give that to you too. So until next time, thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't forget, please don't forget to uh, like these episodes, share these episodes. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Beach House 34, on Instagram at Beach House 34 Podcast. And thank you, thank you. I will speak to you really, really soon.